That brings us to another business principle, which is that you will always have doubters in any organization because it's a lot easier to be a naysayer and to be negative because you can't hardly get hurt by saying, I don't think that'll probably work. (laughs) Whereas the opposite, if you're too optimistic and you say, yeah, let's try it, that might work. You always have the danger that it fails. However, for me as a founder and entrepreneur, what I've, one of the things I've always followed is if you believe it's going to work, you've got to try it. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Richard Tallheimer. And you guys, this is so cool. It's a great pleasure to talk with Richard. Richard is the founder and former CEO of The Sharper Image. That's right, The Sharper Image, the one that you're aware of, the big company out there that you know as The Sharper Image. Richard started it, okay, and built it up and retired, left the company in 2006. Okay, so today we go through his process of starting the company, how he started it, that that first product, building it up, management lessons that he learned along the way, and then why after he exited in 2006, what he did and why he is still working, why why he isn't just retired and what he's up to today. Right now, his, his investing career is in the public stock market. He talks about his philosophy investing in the stock market. And, you know, This show is really primarily about real estate investing, but I think he's got some interesting ideas. So we certainly aren't gonna hold that against him, his investing in the stock market. Love his interesting ideas and his concepts around business, investing, management, and so much more. It was a great pleasure, a great honor to speak with Richard. And I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. Very, very cool stuff. A lot of great lessons in this one. And I'm very excited to bring this interview to you today. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and would like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see your reviews. I get to see that you're engaging with the content and that just makes me so happy. That's what we're here for. We're here to help you take control of your wealth and build wealth passively on Main Street. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe. Catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Really excited to bring this interview to you guys today with Richard Tallheimer, the founder of The Sharper Image. Super duper cool, you guys. So without any further ado, here we go. Richard, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Taylor, for inviting me. I'm pretty excited to talk with you. You have such a, an impressive background that I think every one of our listeners is going to be familiar with. For those out there who don't know, somehow don't know about you and uh, what you created, can you tell us about your background, how you got started in business and you know, launching the Sharper Image? Well, it's a short story in a way. I was 23. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. I went out to San Francisco after college, fell in love with it, and decided to start some kind of business. So I was knocking on doors in the financial district selling office supplies. 
And before I knew it, I was deciding to go to law school. I wanted to keep the business. I thought I'd do it by mail order because that way I could attend classes sometime. And then I found a consumer product, which was a runner's watch. And I took an ad in Runner's World magazine. It happened to sell thousands and thousands. And I had launched a new consumer mail order business called The Sharper Image. So it's a short story in that sense, even though I did it for about 35 years. <laughs> and it almost sounds like a little bit, maybe, I don't want to say on accident, but the initial kind of shift in the business that helped it really blow up was maybe a little unexpected. Yes. Finding a consumer product that really took off and deciding to do it, do it by mail order, which I'd already started with my office supply business. That was a bit happenstance, but you know, that's sort of my approach to business in general, Taylor, is I'm a great believer in management by opportunity. That phrase to me means you see things happen that give you an opportunity to move forward and you jump and take advantage of it. So we have to be alert to recognize those opportunities. Wow. Okay. Okay. So what was the decision? What decision did you make when that initial, you know, that big order came in or the, that, that really took off? Did you stay yeah. in law school or, or what did you do? How did you decide to follow? Right. Up? So I was continuing to go to law school. I did graduate and pass the California bar, but I always wanted to be in business. I just thought law was something you had to know something about because business is so litigious in the United States. So I had this one ad running in Runner's, Runner's World magazine for this watch. Thousands of orders were pouring in. I decided, why don't I open a little store downstairs on the street so these people wouldn't have to troop up to the office because, you know, even though it's a mail order thing, the address was in the ad and people were walking up to the office all day. <laughs> so I took this little storefront in a quiet street. And by that time, the time I took the storefront, I actually had three or four or five other products. And before you know it, the store took off also. And I'm thinking, wow, this is crazy. I've got a store that's doing great business. I've got a mail order business that's doing great business. Why don't I find some more products and put it together into something a little bit larger? Again, management by opportunity. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So I'm curious when the first employees came on as well, when you decided to start hiring people and really building systems around the business, because the law school is you know busy, you have all these orders coming in. You know, you, there's, there's a lot of balls to juggle there and get a lot of things done, right? Right. I'll never forget when we first started we tried to keep track of the order. So the first uh, technique we used was a shoebox. And we had literally file cards of orders in shoeboxes. There was me and two helpers. And then the first IBM computer came out called the 5110. And that allowed you to put a floppy disk into the computer and load the customer orders on. And we could put 50 on a floppy disk. That was the max capacity at the time. That was about 1977. So before you know it, we had a stack of floppy disks, literally a stack of floppy disks with thousands of orders on them. And if somebody canceled or changed their order, we had to literally put in the floppy disk, see if they were on that disk. If not, take it out, put another floppy disk in. <laughs> so ridiculous. So I'm old enough to remember the birth of the computerization of orders. Isn't that crazy? That is wild. And I think a lot of businesses really... Uh, resisted that change and thought these computers aren't really going to become anything. But it sounds like your philosophy of management by opportunity, you really took to that opportunity of, of you know, floppy disks and the, and the computer computerization of business. I mean, am I right? Is that what enabled you to really be on the on the front end of that revolution? Yes. And if you don't mind, I want to just jump ahead to one Please. anecdote 
1996, the Sharp Image at that time already had, I don't know, 180 stores and a booming catalog business. And the internet was just starting, sort of like the computer was starting in 77. And I said to our board of directors, I was the CEO, the majority stockholder and the founder, so I had a lot of sway. I said to the board of directors, we should start an internet business and put the sharper image online. And the board said to me, Richard, no one will ever spend (laughs) money on the internet. (laughs) They said, what a crazy idea. That is doomed to fail because no one would ever send money over the internet. Ha! Little did they know, right? So how did you push forward with that? Did you you help them? see the light or, or what happened in the wake of them, you know, resisting? You said you're the majority shareholder, so you could probably just do it anyway. But that brings us to another business principle, which is that you will always have doubters in any organization because it's a lot easier to be a naysayer and to be negative because you can't hardly get hurt by saying, oh, I don't think that'll probably work. <laughs> Whereas the opposite, if you're too optimistic and you say, yeah, let's try it, that might work. You always have the danger that it fails. However, for me as a founder and entrepreneur, what I, one of the things I've always followed is if you believe it's going to work, you've got to try it. And the sooner you try it, the sooner you'll find out if it's going to fail or succeed. And if it fails, that's fine. Go on to the next thing. You've got to fail your way to success by trying things. See what works. Management by opportunity. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. The sooner you find out, the sooner you can move on. And you know who else really believes that and has espoused it is one of my favorite people to look up to, which is Elon Musk. I thought it might be him. Yeah, yeah. So you were an early investor in Tesla. That's super interesting. I mean, a lot of people, like in, in hindsight, it seems like, I don't know, a lot of people missed out on that bow, right? But how did you get in on that investment and then also like see the vision? Because he'd been involved in PayPal, but you know, the future wasn't set in stone, right? Right. So about 15 years ago, when I left the Sharper Image and sold my remaining interest, I started investing a lot. And I used the same principles I used at Sharper Image, which is look for products that are new, that are innovative, that offer a good relationship between the price and the value to the consumer, what I call the cost-benefit relationship. They have to have aesthetic appeal. So here I am in about 2012, and I'm doing a test drive in a Tesla, which I had read about online, you know, anything about. <laughs> and I drive this car and I think this is the greatest thing I've ever seen as a product. It was so much fun. It was so great. It was so good looking. The cost benefit ratio was right. So I started buying the stock and back then pre-split, it's like a $5 stock or a $3 <laughs> stock, a $1,000 stock. So I made literally millions and millions of dollars. And that's what allowed me in, in large part to achieve like a 90% return rate of my investments the last five years because Tesla's done so well. And that's like half of my entire portfolio, which is wrong. You shouldn't have half your portfolio in stock. But I identified it as a winner, as a product. And today, even though it's over $1,000, by the way, if anyone's listening to, to investment advice, which they shouldn't take from me, disclaimer, it's a great stock still. It's going to go to 4000 think so. Interesting. So I do, uh, I'm curious to have you, I would figure being an early investor, uh, have you had the opportunity to meet Elon? I mean, you've got a name for yourself. It probably wouldn't be that hard to get in touch with them, right? 
Well, when I picked up my first Tesla, it, the company was so small that when you went down to pick it up, they had a little gathering. Elon actually came and thanked everybody nice. for buying one. Isn't that funny? I've now bought five of them over the years and have three right now, which is sort of crazy, including the new Model Y, which again, fantastic product, market leader ahead of everyone else, tremendous foresight. It's just a wonderful product as well as the stock investment. Absolutely. I think as a company, you know, every company has flaws, but their product is much further ahead than the major auto or the other, I shouldn't say major, the other legacy auto manufacturers and their ability to innovate and add new features and and just pivot is so much faster. And I think that is just always going to be at least as long as uh, Elon is around. Now, um, we did jump forward a bit there from 1977 to 1996. And I, I wanted to rewind and dig into the, <clears throat> excuse me, scaling of the sharper image and, you know, companies and, and many entrepreneurs that I speak to, they, ma- many are focused on growing small companies, building something big, but then when it gets to a larger company where there's just more other things to focus on, they kind of want to get out and, hey, go start a new company. But you were involved for quite a long time with the sharper image. What enabled you to you know, stick with the business and grow with it and not say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go do my own thing. Best of luck, you guys. I'm going to go start another business. I think it was just the passion that I had for what I was doing was so strong that it never occurred to me to jump out and start something else. I looked at it differently. It was a life's work. It was a passion. It was a love. And once I was immersed in it, it just never crossed my mind to do anything else for the rest of my life. Isn't that weird? Strange in today's world. (laughs) I suppose. I suppose. So were there any, I mean, I'm sure there were many lessons along the way, but, but as far as, you know, building from a small business where you, you, probably you knew everybody that worked for you probably very well to I mean, a huge brand. Everybody knows the sharper image, right? And and you were uh, with the company till 2006. So I imagine there's a lot you had to learn along the way in terms of building business systems, working with people and, and things along those lines to build it from a more relationship type of company where you knew everybody to, you know, a huge brand, right? Well, as you're talking, Taylor, I'm sort of thinking of one thing, which I think is worth passing along. It helped me so much in my life. And that is whenever you engage in an enterprise, whatever your endeavor is, and it works in every profession, there are always tremendous ups and downs. Anyone that thinks it's got to be a smooth line up, like a graph from the bottom left to the upper right, it isn't. It looks like the stock market charts. There are days and months and even years that are so difficult to get through. And there's other times when you feel like you're in a sailboat with the wind at your back, it's just easy sailing. It just pushes you along. And you have those. So what's my moral of this story? Persistence. The persistence to stick to it through the thick and the thin. And it, if you do that, you will eventually probably prevail and succeed if you combine that with management by opportunity. Meaning when you see something you can't get around, you've got to figure out a different course of action. You can't be stymied. You can't run into an obstacle that's so great you can't get around it. You've got to figure out, how do I solve this problem? And I've had so many of those in my years and many moments when I was extremely discouraged. But persistence is what you've got to remember. This is how you're going to succeed. Nice. I love that. I love persistence. And and this idea of management by opportunity, I wonder how how you avoid 
getting distracted by, and, and by looking for opportunities, right? Because if you're always looking for opportunities, you might not focus enough on the things that, you know, you, you need to be working on, right? You're always finding new, new things to think about, to add to the business. It's, it could turn into a kind of distraction. So how do you know to look for the right opportunities and which ones to go for and which ones to say, hey, maybe not now, you know? Well, let's, let's just suggest to, to anyone thinking about this, there's two parts to that. One is to simply use the numbers. Which ones have the potential to make some real money? Because that's what a business is trying to do, I guess, is produce earnings. If it's not going to produce some real good earnings, maybe it's not worth pursuing. But assuming you don't really know ahead of time what's going to make money and what isn't, you're trying to figure out now what's a good idea to pursue, what's a good product to pursue, what's a good app to create. And I want to just pass along one funny idea, which is there are focus groups and, and consumer studies that cost thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands. And what did I do instead my entire career? I never paid a consultant to discover what was the next great idea. What did I do? I would always ask 10 people. It could be at a lunch table at a vacation resort with strangers I don't know. It could be people I know in my friend's group. I ask them the question, hey, what do you think of this? And what I find is after about the seventh person, a pattern emerges and the answer's fairly clear. You don't need a fancy consumer study group. You need to ask 10 people what they think. But most of us are afraid to ask because we don't want to get our feelings hurt if someone shoots down the idea, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, so get over that. Ask your <laughs> friends, ask some strangers, find out what they think. You'll still know the answer after the 10th person. Nice. Okay, so are there any things in particular that come to mind where where you use that method and you know you saw something come up? It was, it was computers or the internet or, or anything like that. What comes to mind? Well, before I answer, I want to point out Steve Jobs was famous for saying, you can't ask people what they want. True. Because I'm going to invent something that's new that they've never seen before. And therefore, they can't say they want it. So Steve Jobs was sort of famous for that. When he invented the first MP3 player under the Apple brand called the iPod, he had no place to sell it because Apple had a very small online presence and zero retail stores. They had no retail stores at the time. So they came to the Sharper Image and said, hey, you want to introduce this iPod, this MP3? And no one knew what it was like or what it was about. So that's a good example where you can't really ask people. You just have to use your gut instincts, which he did. And I was happy to try it. The thing was flying off the shelves. So every morning at 11 o'clock or 9.30, the store would open. There'd be a line of people. And by 11.30, the iPods would all be sold out. <laughs> so that encouraged me to make one of the greatest investments of my life which is to start buying Apple stock, which was about a dollar a share at that time. Wow. Today, it's about $170. That was a good return. Wow. That is really something. So that that matter of, I mean, people don't know what they want. I mean, if you, I think Tesla is very similar in that way. People didn't really want an electric car in the past, but right. they wanted, you know, just a decent car, something cool, da, 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 da. And Elon kind of delivered that to them. Plus it's electric and it's really, really fast. And so much fun to drive. I, and Taylor, I really appreciate that you're sort of a Tesla appreciator because some people are skeptics, you know? It's true. I mean, they're they're not perfect cars. They, they, there are issues when it comes to 
service and initial quality. Sometimes I've seen some horror stories online, but you know, no manufacturer is perfect. They all have issues. And I really believe that we wouldn't have the electric car kind of availability that we have now from other brands if Elon hadn't made it cool. It's absolutely true. I mean, single-handedly, he created the electric car transformation. And, and just FYI, I want to mention out of my five Teslas, the initial delivery has been fine in terms of quality. And the service actually has been excellent, including mobile service coming right to the house, which I've never enjoyed that before. It's free. Hey, that's not bad. That's not bad. I definitely uh, would would like to get myself one uh, <laughs> down the road. So you yeah. you exited Sharper Image in 2006 and you said you sold your shares at that point, but you're talking to me now. It's 2022. You're not retired. Why are you not retired? I, I always wonder okay. about that folks that could retire, but, but yeah. don't. It's really fascinating to me. So I, two thoughts. One is that I think it's really important to keep doing something, whatever your thing is, to keep your mind working hard because that's part of the secret to staying younger as you get older. And for me, that's especially important because I'm getting older. So keeping the mind active. Secondly, it's a fun, start a game, I call it a game or, I mean, it's making money, but it's still challenging to identify products that are going to succeed whether it's Apple, and I call them products, but it's also companies, whether it's Axon that makes tasers and police cameras. Now, that's a great concept for today's world where every policeman has to have a camera or Amazon. I adore Amazon. You know, I mean, I, I don't need to tell you why. It's just so great. RH, Restoration Hardware, what a fantastic company. So I just love these companies and I look at them as products at the Sharper Image. I look at them as success stories that turn out to be successful stock investments. So that's how I've been able to achieve like literally 90% of your returns for the past five years, which is unbelievable. But it's just simply identifying companies that have success stories that are going to work. Okay. And you've recently uh, written a book, released a book. Can you tell us about that and what inspired you to, to write a book? Okay, so this is fun. After getting 90% returns for five years on the average, I decided this is so fun. I got to share it with people because they asked me how I did it. So I thought I'd just write it out. So this is a book that in simple, lay, plain English tells you how you can make much higher returns in your own stock investments. And it's not complicated. It's very simple. But that's just the way it is because I'm a believer that if you can't make it understandable to people, then you can't sell it. You can't share it with people. They've got to be able to understand it. So I've made it very understandable. And so the Sharper Investor book is really fun. And the audio version happens to be me talking about it for an hour and a half, which is fun. Awesome. I love that. It always bothers me when especially nonfiction books are read by somebody other than the author. I always want it to be the author. It's always better that way. It's a fun, fun listen. And I enjoy doing it. I hope you enjoy it also. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. 
All right, Richard, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Um, Are you ready? Sure. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, when you say investing, I have to think stocks and money because that's what I think of. And for me, of course, I've only really had two tremendous investments. I got to mention both. Apple at a dollar a share because I met the sharper image and I'm seeing these iPods flying off the shelf. I got to <laughs> buy this stock and I never sold a share. So that's terrific. Now, 20, 30 years later, I still got it. And Tesla, of course, driving the first Tesla and thinking, this is one of the greatest products I've ever seen in my entire career buying products. And that turned out to be the investment that has really made me tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars. Wow. That's awesome. And you had kind of, I don't want to say advanced knowledge because that's maybe a little pejorative, but you had pretty early insight into both of those products, as you say, and that prior to the the real scaling of both of those businesses. So we had the best investment or the two best investments. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Well, I am fortunate that I have been able to avoid such a terrible investment that it wiped me out. It's never happened. And my advice to people is never bet the entire ranch. You always want to have something left over. So even if you're completely wrong, you can try again. I did, however, when I was just getting out of college thinking, oh, I'm going to be a smart gold investor, just like crypto today. I'm going to watch the ups and downs and I'm going to guess where it's going tomorrow or next week. So I quickly lost $60,000 at age 25. Ouch. Which for me back then was about 60% of my entire portfolio. I mean, I was lucky to have 100,000 at best somehow, but I lost 60% of it very quickly. So I guess my point is we can't really guess, in my opinion, where the trend is as far as, oh, is the market going to go up tomorrow? Is Bitcoin going to go up or down? I don't think that's really possible to do. And, and Warren Buffett would agree with me, by the way. But what you can do is identify a solid business with a solid story the solid future and put your money in and just relax and let it simmer for five years. That's not so difficult. Absolutely. I think one of my concerns about the way a lot of folks and, and a lot of talking heads talk about Wall Street is you you so frequently hear them say, they hear them talk about their investments as, as bets, right? That's why we see it as a casino. They're not focusing on the underlying business. They're focusing on where do I think the price might go within the next day, week, or month, rather than the quality of the underlying business? That's exactly right. And Peter Lynch, one of the famous investors of all times, Peter Lynch, who wrote the book One Up on Wall Street, famously said, no one can time the market bottom. You could only buy solid companies with great stories that you've experienced personally and that you believe in and that you know have a solid footing financially and just wait Five years later, it'll go up. Love it. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business <laughs> and investing? Wow. Well, that's a hard one because there's at least three or four lessons that I keep trying to repeat to myself so I won't make <laughs> a mistake. <laughs> Let's just rattle off one or two or three of them real quick. Great. Don't bet the ranch, okay? You got to have something left over for later. Uh, don't try and guess the bottom. No one... And the smartest people in the world have said this repeatedly. No one can tell you where the bottom is. All you can do is nibble in, average in, buy some today, buy a little bit tomorrow, buy a little bit later, and you will somehow catch the bottom. So there's two points right there. The hardest one of all, the most important one of all, 
do not sell out at the bottom. <laughs> a lot Why? of people have a hard time with that. We are supposed to buy low and sell high. That's how we make money. And if you get discouraged, if you freak out, if you panic when the market's way down and you go, oh, I've got to sell because I might lose everything, wrong. What you do is you wait. You hold on. There will be a better time. If you want to lighten up, you can lighten up in stages. You can average out. Do not sell out at the bottom. We want to buy low. You have to force yourself to nibble in and buy at the bottom, not sell. That is definitely one of the toughest parts of, of any kind of investing is to not follow the crowd, especially when that big red sell button is right there, right in front of you. And you can sell it all right now and feel like you're going to cut your losses, but there really might be opportunity. Well, Richard, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing all these lessons. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. If folks want to find you on the internet, if they want to find your book, if they want to track you down, if they want to get in touch or anything like that, where can they find you? Okay, so this is fun and it's free. TheSharperInvestor.com is a website. TheSharperInvestor.com. And when you go there and register for my once every two weeks short blog, you get a free 25 pro trading tips. That's an excerpt from the book, 25 pro trading tips. And they're actually pretty good. So go there, register TheSharperInvestor.com. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcast. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.